Oh yeah. I mean, it's we've done like series ish things before, but not in this capacity. Like a director series, we haven't really done that. Yeah, we haven't really done that. Maybe. Or maybe I'm forgetting some things. I don't know. We only have like 60-some episodes. You'd think I'd remember all of them at this point. I don't think we've ever done a director series. No, but we'll have to see. This will be the first and last because everyone will hate it. I don't know. I have another (laughs) one planned for... uh, I don't remember when it's planned for. (laughs) But I guess um, we'll get started. Okay. Welcome to Bad Movie Date Night, the podcast in which we take a serious look at bad films and genre films, and hopefully we give them the credit that they deserve. I am Nigel from AJourneyIntoFilm.com, and with me is my wonderful wife, Caitlin. Hello. And this week, as you heard from the beginning, we are kicking off a mini-series on David Dakota with the movie Nightmare Sisters from 1988. Uh, if any of you listening are familiar, David Dakota also directed an episode that was released recently, Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolarama, and I butchered his name because I had no idea how to pronounce it until right before we did this podcast. What is it? David Dakota. I thought that's how you said it. Uh, no, it's spelled weird, so I said Dakota. Oh. Yeah. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a few of his movies, which uh, pretty much the only ones that we really have access to are the ones that were restored from Vinegar Syndrome. If you And that we own. And that we own. <laughs> well, I mean, we streamed Slimeball. We don't own Ball. that one. No. But I've heard that the Blu-ray isn't that great. So. But we should buy it. Because what if they it. take it off? Can't this not watch that movie. They need like a David Dakota box set. That would be impossible because he's at this point, (laughs) he has done something like a hundred and like, I don't know. He's done a very. Just like four box sets, 50 in each. (laughs) I feel like if he didn't get like the credit he deserved, like they could do like a DVD box set, like those target sets that they do of yeah. like the old silent, mm-hmm. not silent, the old like B black and white. Yeah. Like the sci-fi movies and the horror movies and the stuff, you know, the stuff that your dad likes mm-hmm. that is in the public domain and you can get for like 20 bucks. Right. Stuff like that. Um, good movies. Yeah. Great movies. But, um, not that we're we're not paid to do this, but if you like cult movies and genre movies and some of the B stuff that we talk about, go check out Vinegar Syndrome. Wow. Now Vinegar they're definitely Syndrome. not going to pay you. Yeah. Uh, they have some really cool stuff, and yeah. I may be addicted to buying their movies. The slight addiction. <laughs> Is now a bad time to ask you well. if... Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's now a bad time to ask you for their subscription for Christmas because that would be wonderful. (sighs) So anyway, we're talking about Nightmare Sisters. This movie is kind of fascinating because he pretty much made this movie on a dare. They said, look, we have all this leftover film. Pretty much like the pieces of film that aren't used during production they're called short ends and he's like they said i bet you can't make a movie with this and so he made nightmare sisters in like something like four weeks and forty thousand dollars with much of the same cast and location as sorority babes i'm not saying the full title of that movie throughout the entirety of this podcast sorority babes and the slime bowl bolorama Slime ball bolorama. Slime ball bolorama. <laughs> See, it's it's a mouthful. It's not it worth is. saying. And um, yeah, use much of the same cast, and by much of the same cast, I mean Linnea Quigley, Brink Stevens, and Michelle Bauer. And it is an interesting movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this now: Do you still like Sorority Babes more than this movie? Because that's what you said in the last one. I know, but I think I like this one more. 
Yeah. Yeah. This one is... I think whichever one I'm liking is the one I like more. They're so fun. Whichever one you're liking is the one you Whichever one I'm watching. Oh, yeah. Is the one that I'm liking. This movie is all sorts of campy and definitely in a weird sort of way lacks the budget that Sorority Babes had. But they did so much with the lack of budget. They did. And this movie just kind of proves that you can do a lot with a little. Um... But before we get into the movie, I want to kind of just talk about David Dakota for a second. Let's get to know him. And right, by get to know him, life. let's go over some facts that I found on the internet about him. Okay. Uh, so he, like many, many people in Hollywood, got his start working for Roger Corman at New World Pictures in 1981. He was just 18 years old. Little baby David. And for to give you some insight into this, um, there are a lot of famous directors and actors that got started working for Roger Corman. The some off the top of my head, like James Cameron, uh, and Francis Ford Coppola, and Jack Nicholson. Those are the three that come to my mind off the top of my head. And his Roger Corman's whole thing was making movies fast and cheap with a mass market appeal. And up until recently, which we also just learned, he has never made a movie that lost money, which is pretty impressive. He holds like some kind of fantastic producer record. And so this idea of making movies fast and cheap kind of carried over to... David Dakota's style of movie making. In fact, if you look at his body of work since he founded his own production studio, uh, which name is right here, Rapid Heart Pictures, you will notice that he is he learned a lot of business from Roger Corman. Now, is the quality of his stuff today as good as it was in the 80s? No. No. Um, it's kind of depressing. It is a little depressing. Um, so he directed his first... Well, we'll talk about that in a second. So he directed his first movie for Charles Band at Full Moon Pictures, which uh, was released in 1986. It was called Dream Maniac. And let me tell you, that movie sounds wild. Mm-hmm. Um. This is also after dabbling in pornography for a little bit, which a lot of independent directors at the time started working on pornography sets. Just going to rip that Band-Aid off right there. And no carryover into his current movies at all. Oh, yeah. There's definitely no carryover. None. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. What can we say? Boobies have mass appeal. Sex has mass appeal. We'll say that. Uh, so Dream Maniac is about a heavy metal musician who makes a deal with a satanic succubus, which that He's seems He's obsessed like, with succubus. Yeah. Says succubi. That seems like an oxymoron. And uh, he wants to be successful with women. And in return for the succubus, uh, he has to feed the women to the succubus. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is actually going to be important for the story. The succubus is a female demon that feeds on the uh, potency of men, for a lack of a better way of saying that. Yeah. <laughs> when um, are we going to watch this movie? Nightmare Sisters? No. Um, Dream Maniac? Dream Maniac. I don't know. I have to hunt it down. Because uh, So here's the other thing about David Dakota. He got started right at the beginning of like the VHS revolution, which I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail here. There's a great documentary on uh, Amazon prime for it. I think it's called please or be kind rewind or something like that. Something like that. It's really good. Yeah, it was, it was very good. Um, Surprise pornography also contributed to the success of VHS tapes. So, Pretty much all of our technology, technological advances can be 
contributed to the advancement of pornography. So thanks, pornography. Yeah. <laughs> it says something about our world. It really does. <laughs> world is full of perverts. <laughs> um, so because this, he kind of got started at the beginning of this VHS revolution, he had to make things. A lot of video stores were just looking to fill their shelves mm-hmm. with stuff. And so they would shoot things fast, quick, and that's redundant. They would shoot things fast and cheap and um, just stuff the shelves full of these VHS movies, which today many of them are lost to us. That's so sad. It's There is an insane number of movies that aren't seen today that were made either exclusively for VHS or were made and then released on VHS and didn't go to theaters. And it's just, it is ridiculous. Um, I guess the, the modern day equivalent is streaming. Yeah. Because it is shockingly easy to put your movie on Amazon prime. If you're an independent filmmaker and you shoot a movie and you want to put it on Amazon prime, it will, you will face very few hurdles to do that. What was that pinata movie that we stumbled oh, on there? Was, that was, there was wild. like attack of the killer pinata or something. <laughs> so stupid things like that. Um, so he's the founder of rapid hearts picture or rapid heart pictures, which, uh, makes sense because he, Makes a lot of movies to titillate, for lack of a better way of saying that. And uh, taking another play from Roger Corman, he uh, he basically he's been quoted as saying is he will make any movie in which there's a need for. So if a producer said we need a western, he's like, you got it. I can make a western. <laughs> Sci-fi movie, you got it. Horror movie. You got it. Erotic thriller. You got it. So he's his goal is, I mean, his, his like specialty is just being the guy who can make any movie. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that he's like the guy who can make any movie. But well, that's what he thinks his specialty is. <laughs> right. Well, and that, that kind of um, brings us to the kind of last point that I have on him. He, since he founded this production company, he's kind of tried to fill this niche market of movies exclusively for women and gays. And if you look at like his 1313 series, very much meant for a specific audience. And he even, he's even said like the reason he gave it the title 1313 is because it's a number and nine times out of ten on a streaming service, the numbers gonna are going to be, be at the first. beginning of oh the alphabet. Oh, my gosh. So it's it's almost like the Asylum pictures where, I don't know if you remember this, when you would go into Blockbuster back in the day and they would have, like, all the Transformers movies. And then, like, somewhere in there, there was, like, Transmorphers. Oh, and yeah. And, like, the, po- the name was close enough and the cover had the same colors on it. Right. That... You know, grandma goes in there. She's like, oh, I'm going to go pick up Billy's favorite movie to rent tonight. And she accidentally picked up Transmorphers. Right. And they got money for that. Even if, (laughs) well, I don't know how renting really works and getting money, but I'm assuming that they get money anytime anyone rents something. Yeah, I would assume so. So it's kind of, in that way, it's kind of like that, Mm -hmm. but a little less devious, I guess, just kind of smart. Right. Business practices. He has made two other movies with uh, the three women, three leads of this movie who are iconic 80s scream queens, by the way. Um, one of those movies is called Three Scream Queens. And it's about three actresses who are offered a part in a movie if they can figure out how to finish it. And I guess things get kind of murdery. <laughs> and also... Uh, 1313 Cougar Cult. Okay. There's very little connection with any of the 1313 movies. And uh, he just uses that title to, I guess it's like a franchising thing. I don't know. Okay. He should just put 13 in front of all of his movies then. Or just like one. 
Right. One yeah. dot Nightmare <laughs> Sisters. <laughs> one dot A Nightmare Sisters. One dot B. Yeah. Slime ball in the Bullorama. That's funny. So, like I said, this movie was filmed kind of on a dare with leftover film, and um, it was specifically intended for the VHS market. And in some ways you can kind of tell because it's very cheap. And actually, I think the acting is better in this one than in Sorority Babes, but maybe you'll disagree with me. I think, yeah, I, no, I think I agree. You think so? At least the guys are better in this one. Yeah. I can't really speak to the girls. I think they were pretty equal, but I think the guys are a lot better in, in Nightmare Sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, uh, if you don't like nudity in your movies, which there is, there are copious amounts of nudity in this one. In all of Dave Dakota's movies. That is accurate. Although we haven't seen like creepazoids yet. I'm sure there's nudity. I'm sure there is. Um, there is a made for TV version of this movie in which they swap out some of the scenes of the women topless with lingerie shots where they're in, there's like a there's like, there's like a shower scene in this movie that goes on forever <laughs> like, oh no what's how's that song go oh man something something nonsense suck, <laughs> suck my chimney or oh, something yeah. <laughs> um he yeah Seriously, like, how many times do you have to wash yourself with a bar of soap? Longest shower scene. Well, it's more of like a bath, but longest scene ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, They replaced that in the made-for-TV version with them jumping on the bed. So, you know, equally sexy if you're into that. (laughs) Um, And then one other thing I just wanted to point out... uh, this movie also has one of our favorite people, Michael Sani, um, which another name that I believe I've been mispronouncing, uh, a.k.a. Dookie Flyswatter, as the, uh, the, the psychic, Omar. A relation to Paul Shear, I'm sure. He has never looked more like Paul Shear than he does in this movie. Yes, accurate. Um, but he also does the his band, Haunted Garage, which is this like weird 80s, 90s punk band, does all of the music for the movie. So definitely worth watching it for that. And I think that covers all of the preliminary stuff. So, Caitlin, do you want to give us a summary of Nightmare Sisters? Oh, right. This movie is about three young girls in a sorority who are not that popular and want to meet boys. So what do they do? They have a party and they invite three boys from a brother sorority dorm. Fraternity. Fraternity. Yes. And I got you. Yeah, guys aren't in sororities. (laughs) (laughs) Except in that movie, Sorority Boys. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> it's a weird movie. It's one of those like Comedy Central movies that played nonstop <laughs> for a while. Um, and they have these young men over. And what is a party without Twister and a seance? And during the seance, they summon the succubus. Succubi? I don't know. That I bothers me. I'm not sure. <sighs> we'll talk about that. Okay, so they summon this succubi thing, and it inhabits all three girls, and they become sex maniacs. And they end up killing anyone that they have sex with. Now, to your surprise, the three boys that they invite over to their house do not die. No, no, no. Three other boys who were spying on them die. And there is an exorcism, and then they're back to normal. I think that covers this movie. That uh, that was a very detailed summary of the movie, and it's making me think that maybe we don't need to go through the movie well, in detail. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried to keep it simple, but not a lot happened in this movie. 
it's like not a lot happens, but a lot happens. <laughs> I don't know. It's it is it is surprisingly fun for a movie that was thrown together in minutes. It feels like it, it's very fun. It's a very fun film. So, Caitlin. Yes. Since you gave us the summary, why don't you tell us what you liked? What I liked in this movie was, I think, first and foremost, Linnea Quigley and her acting. That was probably top of the line acting right there. I liked the character that she played and pretty much just everything about her was hilarious. Um, I liked the, like, I don't even know what to call it, but like the beginning sequence with uh, Brink Stevens and how she comes home with all that stuff. Like where they're sitting on the couch talking about all of her flea market finds. Yeah, like I loved that scene. I thought it was so funny. Um, And I, I enjoyed all of the chaos that happened when the succubus... Um, possess the girls, if you will. I just all together, like there is not a bad scene in this movie. Everything is so fun. Everything is over the top. The acting is redonkulous. Everything is amazing. I mean, if you like sleazy horror comedies, this movie is definitely for you. Oh, yeah. It, uh, so for context, each of the girls in this plays a nerd or like an outcast in Mm -hmm. some way. So like Linnea Quigley, she's got these giant buck teeth and is kind of homely with, I think she has Velcro shoes too, which (laughs) was hilarious. Um, Michelle Bauer's like the fat one. Mm -hmm. And then Brink Stevens is the one with glasses. And like into weird stuff yeah like so like her whole thing is like she flea markets Mm -hmm. and the movie starts with her coming well after the intro the opening scene with omar and this woman uh mrs detweiler was also just a great a great introduction i felt yeah I mean, definitely over explained a lot (laughs) but also explained like we we needed we did not need that like it without that scene, this movie would have functioned perfectly fine on its own. Almost. The only thing that that scene really does is it just sets up like what the succubus does. Right. But we could have figured that out by watching. Yeah. I mean, if you have two brain cells, like right. you should be able to figure out like what's going on. Um, and it also sets up Omar as some kind of weird demon carrier thing i don't i don't know what you want to call it yeah he well i think because he was a psychic he can go between the worlds if you will see my understanding of that was he was like possessed no i don't think he was possessed really maybe i don't i don't know okay (laughs) i think we're giving too much thought to we're putting way too much thought on this movie um yeah, so so Brink Stevens, uh, what is her character's name? Marcy. Oh, they have all they have three M names. I don't know why I didn't put that together. Um, Marcy, she comes home with this box of stuff, and it's literally like a five minute scene of the three girls just <laughs> sitting on the couch looking through this box of nonsense, like a coconut monkey, and uh. Like the, it looks like like it looks like the plastic front to an old stereo is in there. <laughs> yeah. Um. At one point, she pulls out like a skull go- goblet and says, "They don't make these like they used to." <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. The only thing we don't get to see is her twelve foot lava lamp, which yeah, is that was disappointing. Mm-hmm. She says, "I didn't even know they made a twelve foot lava lamp or." I don't, I don't know if it's 12 feet or... I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's a giant lava lamp, and you're disappointed because you never see it. But you do get to see a giant shark, so... Yeah, their <laughs> sorority has this weird giant shark head. I like to pretend it's one of her thrifting finds. It really does look like one of her thrifting finds. Yeah. But based on how they describe the other girls in the sorority, you have no clue how they're given any 
permission to even leave their room in this place. Right. Um, so we're introduced to them. And then we're introduced to the guys, Kevin, Freddie, and Dwayne. This is another great scene. Yeah, they're... One guy's, like, studying math. <laughs> One guy's asleep with a, like, uh, it's not Playboy, but some kind of adult magazine. Also, apparently, in this movie and in Sorority Babes, they just assume that guys' dorm rooms are just adorned with magazine <laughs> clippings of boobs. Yeah. Like, who, oh, like, I think there's even a poster of Michael Jackson that they... Yeah, but they taped on boobs. Yeah, <laughs> so apparently that's what a that's what a normal college dorm looks like. I wouldn't know because I don't think we went to a normal school. Not at all. And so they get invited to this party. Well, okay, so the, the girls decide that they're going to... Uh, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going back into, going back into detailed plot mode. Let's keep talking about things that we liked. Okay. You go ahead. I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I, there is not a scene I disliked in this movie. So I do want to piggyback off of you because I feel like the acting from the three girls was excellent. So good. For the type of movie that it is. I mean, they're not going to take home any awards. No. However, the contrast between nerdy and sexy was noticeable. Yeah. And it worked. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I thought was funny is so because Michelle Bauer is supposed to be the fat one, Mickey, she does this like fat person voice and <laughs> it really does not work. No, I loved it. I loved it. I thought she did great. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Okay. <laughs> I did. I loved it. Um, it really added to her character, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like this paper paper like monster on the fridge no that says, it's it's, it's a referee a referee or whatever yeah it says remember your diet mickey uh, yeah funny. <laughs> um, i loved that because i just i my thought process is like why was that there <laughs> like yeah. what were they doing during filming that they were like hey can someone design this real quick but also <laughs> if you think about it within the context of like the world that they present to us right who made that for her? Did she make that? Right. Did and the sorority girls make it to like make fun of her essentially? Right. Like there's also uh paper plates all over the apartment with random designs on them, like a yeah. sun and stuff. And I, I just, I really wanted to be there on set and know who said, Hey, this is, got those extra lunch plates. Go draw some suns on them and hang them around the building. Right. Like, like who, what? Who decided that this is what a normal sorority looks like? Right. Like, did the girls decide that? Or, <laughs> I don't know. A lot of very interesting questions. Um, the other thing that I enjoyed, the... How do I even want to word it? Like, the design of the succubus once it's outside of their bodies. You mean, no, it looks like the same... Um, puppet that they used in Spookies. Spookies. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's funny when it appears because you can tell that it's like a wooden board with like a mask in a costume mm-hmm. draped over it and it doesn't move. And then when they when it talks, it just kind of looks like a bobblehead where its <laughs> mouth like shakes around. And you only get this close up of it, which I'm assuming is to hide the impractical aspects of it. I don't know. Uh, I also like <laughs> the, what are you laughing at? Nothing. Just the ridiculousness of the succubus. This movie also has one of my favorite plot points that we've started to notice in a lot of these B type movies that we watch where people are like bored at a party and they say, you know what we should do? <laughs> Let's have a seance. Let's just have a seance. Um, like Spookies. Yeah. Um, we watched that movie Ghoulies mm-hmm. where they're having the party and the guy says, hey, you want to do a ritual? Oh, my God. <laughs> and he got like really into it. It's so weird. He was very into it. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what other movies. I feel like there's one more, but I can't remember. Actually, 
I don't know if I would count this or not, but that movie Witchboard that Kevin Tenney did where um, they're at the party and the guy's like, hey, check this out. I got a Ouija board. Oh, yeah. No, you definitely count that one. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a new favorite plot of ours where mm-hmm. they just say, hey, we should uh, we should do a seance because I've never once been to a party where they're like. Anyone want to play with a Ouija board? To be fair, we probably are not the type of people <laughs> who would go to those parties. No, but I would it's not. just it's just, it's so random and such an awkward way to push the plot forward. Right. Like, hey, okay, I'm like I'm all for normal people messing with things outside of their control, but at the same time like why? Like what rational person would right. say, "Hey, we should perform the satanic ritual." Right. And so that's kind of how the plot progresses in this. They, the party is clearly dying, which I love that scene where the guys are just bored to death listening yeah. to the girls. Uh, and that was oh, so funny. Yeah. Bring Stevens talking about her family vacation with Showing the guys. Showing like the photo album. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, um, was it Mickey and what's his face just sit there and they're just eating snacks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which that was something that was weird too. Mickey's like, I'll make the food. And then it's like potato chips and Twizzlers. Yeah. But you see her baking something. Yeah. Oh, it was, but it was that pie from that they used later. Yeah. But who clearly people <laughs> working on this movie have never made a pie before. Cause no. that, that was like pancake batter. Yeah. Or that like, was, sugar that cookie. wasn't gonna be a good pie no 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 um let me think what else what else there's it's really hard to pinpoint individual things that i like about this movie that's what i'm saying like there's not a bad scene in this movie well that's that's the thing is like if someone said nigel why do you like this movie i would say from start to finish genius <laughs> it is so funny and it it has a a storyline that like keeps you engaged like i never find myself bored in this movie yeah it just keeps going and i feel like it gets more ridiculous as it goes so i just honestly yeah i'm here for the ride and it's so funny the leader of the the like cool guys at the fraternity jj is one of the worst actors He's i've ever seen like like so bad. There's a scene where they're standing in the bedroom at the fraternity and he keeps looking up and it's almost like you almost wonder if they his lines are written across the wall for him to look at. I would thoroughly believe that they were. I don't know if he went on to do anything, but I'm going to hope not because I don't think he had what it takes to be decent. <laughs> He was only in one other movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Dream Maniac. Um, Here's an interesting fact. C.J. Cox, who played one of the other fraternity guys, is like a award-winning, not an award-winning, he's like a famous writer for movies. Like that's his whole thing. Um, Like he wrote the screenplay for Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, wow. Um, Which I think is a movie that people like. Yes. Um, he also did the movie Latter Days and like he doesn't have a lot of credits, but he has more writing credits than he does. Um, oh, hey, it's that guy. Yeah, I like him. The movie The Makeover with David Walton and Julia Stiles. Someone I don't really care for. No. But she's in stuff. So that being said, what do you not like about this movie? There's nothing to not like. I was trying to think of something and I was like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I, I loved everything about this movie. Nothing I would have changed. Nothing that could have been added. It was perfection. It's really hard to, I think it's really hard to say that this movie is good without falling into the so bad it's good category. But really, it just exudes 80s camp. It does. And And I think that's why I love it so much. Everything that you could wrap up the 80s with is this movie. It is 
all of the excesses of the 80s in like one movie minus drugs. Yeah. You have lots of sex, lots of weird Satan stuff, over the top creature effects, which I mean, like, you know, they're not grade A. So I guess if there's something I didn't like about it, it's that it could be better. But that's not what the movie's about. The movie's right. about the three girls being possessed and not the succubus itself. Right. Um, and I do think it, knowing that this movie was made on a dare. That's, I think using, that adds to it. Yeah. Using the um, short strips or whatever I said that they're called. Like, that's just impressive. Mm-hmm. He pulled it off, and mm-hmm. I think this exemplifies what David Dakota is good at, making yeah. a marketable movie with mass appeal and somewhat compelling story. You know what I was thinking about, though? Think about um, Brink Stevens, uh, Michelle Bauer, and, and Linnea Quigley. It, they're... Yes, I know that they're not going to win any awards anytime soon, but if you replace those actors or actresses with common day actresses like Kristen Bell or I don't know, I'm just throwing out names here, but like then this movie would turn out from like being a good movie to like mediocre like I'm saying, I'm saying like if they remade this movie today with like top of the line actors, it's not going to do as well. I think having these types of actors in this movie makes it what it is. You know that if someone tried to remake this movie, they would try to spin some like political correct message in it yeah. or something. Kind of like the Black Christmas remake. Right. They would turned it into something about like female empowerment or whatever, which in it's like a weird sort of way it kind of is. Right. And like, I wouldn't, I want to say like coming to terms with sexuality, but I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to word what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But there are some interesting ideas here, maybe entirely unintentionally. Right. <laughs> we are giving this movie so much credit. It's like the longer we talk about it, the more deep we think right. this movie is. <laughs> is this movie a secret masterpiece? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that should be our next ter- next t-shirt. Is this movie a secret masterpiece? Yeah. I would wear that. I feel like uh, we could get a lot of people to wear that. Especially people who have been around a while. Mm-hmm who have listened to the show from the beginning and know that that's kind of like a running joke for us. Right. If you're new to the podcast, hey, welcome to The Joke, (laughs) where we think that these movies are secret masterpieces. No, we know they're secret masterpieces. That's true. This is true. Maybe I'll I'll see what I can do. None of the other guys were really in anything, but... um, do you want to talk about any plot points in detail? Oh my gosh. Um I mean, we talked about the opening with like the the flea market thing and we talked about Omar. Right. I think the only other maybe plot point worth Well, actually there's one scene that I find really funny, so I just want to mention that one. Mhm. Um where the guys aren't going to show up because it's like late <laughs> and then she hears a knock at the door and they go telegram and I'm just like what <laughs> why <laughs> why and I was like do, did people still get telegrams in the 80s like I don't know but my favorite part about that is they literally send a telegram to say that they can't come because they're sick and then the end of the telegram says like surprise or just yeah. kidding or something right it's like, well, that seems like a very, there was no time for the disappointment to set right. in that they might not show. Right. Uh, uh, I that love that scene. I love that scene so much. Um, that was a good one. And then, I don't know, when they become possessed by the succubus, they're, 
I think my favorite scene with that one probably is uh, Michelle Bowers when she has like a Tarzan room. Yeah, we should talk about the rooms for a second. That was wild. So each of the girls, when they become possessed by the succubus, they lure the men, well, with the exception of Linnea Quigley, they lure the men back to their room. And at this point, the three uh, like kind of popular fraternity guys show up. Mm-hmm. They tie the other three boys into the shed outside, which was kind of funny. And they themselves are then taken. So, it's, you know, it works out. Like, you know, get rid of the, 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 the jerk guys and keep the nice guys to save the day. Right. So Michelle Bauer's room, it turns into a jungle inexplicably. Oh, my gosh. And she has this, like, caveman-style bikini on. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, she made that herself. Wow. Yeah. And so she, you know, lures the guy in there, and there's, like, all these jungle-related euphemisms and whatnot. And... I love that you can hear the jungle sounds in the background, too. It's, like, not just a jungle room, but it's, like, steamy, kind of like how I imagine, like, a rainforest to be. But it's also, like, you can hear just animal sounds in the background. Yeah. It was as if they were transported to an actual jungle. Yeah. Which is... So, I would say out of all the rooms that they put effort into, this one wins an award for most effort. Later, so and then so then Brink Stevens has this whole like little girl thing going on. Later, you go to her room and it's like Candyland from hell. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> it is what nightmares are made of. You get the idea that it was supposed to be cute. There it, are it wasn't. giant gingerbread men. There's like a giant candy cane, stuff everywhere, like candy themed. But something went wrong <laughs> <laughs> with the colors. Like it was spray painted or something, but like they didn't give it time to like dry or something. So like the colors started to run. It just literally looks like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And like the music is creepy. Yeah. It sounds like it's like an ice cream truck yeah. music. But, but like, like you're going to get murdered. <laughs> right. Which, okay. You could argue one, someone messed up in the production department. Right. Or perhaps, <laughs> because this movie is a secret masterpiece, it is showing how the women are becoming more uh, demonic as the movie progresses, and they're less, they're no longer attempting to hide the fact that they're going to eat these boys. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. Uh, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, Candyland from Hell. Mm. That is Brink Stevens' room. And at this point, uh, they've all kind of changed into these, like, dominatrix. Well, Linnea Quigley's, like, in this French maid thing. Because um, she was cleaning up the ashes. She was cleaning up the ashes, which oh, yeah, was necessary. Oh, yeah, because, like, when you have sex with the guy, you just turn into a giant pile of ashes. Yeah, that's how the succubus kills you. Um. Also, Linnea Quigley has this like extended musical number in the middle of the movie, which we're She's a big amazing. fan of that. Yeah. Anytime you add music into a movie, love it. Yeah. She's like prancing around the living room singing to this song. And uh, it's just interesting. Wearing <laughs> clothes that are 10 times too big for her that keep falling off. Yeah. I think the idea was that they were supposed to be draped and sexy. But as yeah. she bounced around the room it was no longer draped if you know what i'm saying yeah um i think you do (laughs) i think you do that's a tribute to our good friend joe bob yes (laughs) good friend (laughs) like (laughs) but i just feel like why did you say that (laughs) i just feel like i know him we we don't though i'm (laughs) I just, want to. Just because we watch him on Shudder <laughs> doesn't mean we know him. <laughs> but it's my dream. It's like David Nasser who'd be like, this is my, you know, my my long friend, so-and-so, when he would introduce yeah. people for convocation. And then that one time they came up and they're like, I don't know this guy. 
that was so funny. Oh, uh, no one's going to get that. But no one's going to understand that. That's funny to me. Unless so. we have some Liberty peeps out in the audience. Um, all that to say, oh, you know what else was a really interesting character? The priest that they hire too. I loved the priest. He was like the 24 hour available it. priest. <laughs> he was so like meta. Yeah. And he, he made a joke about being the, the priest from the exorcist and not seeing any royalties, mm-hmm. which was that's hilarious. hilarious. It was a, it was a very funny joke for those who catch it. Um, but he's just kind of a weird character. He talks about how he t- accepts American express and stuff. And, <laughs> Um, he is like, he says that he can't stick around once they save the girls. Cause he has a, a vampire slaying at dawn. Yeah. He's like, don't want to be too early. Don't want to be too late. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This was, uh, a very funny movie. I would definitely put this more in the, to the horror comedy camp. Yeah. Than I would the, uh, bad movie camp. Yeah, absolutely. Although it, it was made cheaply and it shows, but not in a bad way. No. For a movie made so cheap, it's really enjoyable. And the, I guess, like lower quality sets, I don't really feel like it takes you out of the film at all. No, it really doesn't. And you get the idea that everyone working on the movie really wanted to be there and like cared about what they were working on. Yeah. And... As much as I've loved the first two David Dakota movies that we've seen, just watching the trailers for some of his more recent stuff Mm. makes me sad because you can tell that the cheapness is still there and there is definitely that like mass market appeal. But I never got the idea that with the exception of the two trailers with the uh, the three women in this movie, I never got the idea that the actors wanted to be there to do it and they were just kind of like phoning it in and that just made me sad do you think that um you can't really make like david dakota was a man of the decade like he should have stayed in the 80s i mean i don't want to tell him that he had to stay in the 80s right like his like i guess like i don't think movies like that work today no i don't i well you know, so this is kind of an ongoing conversation that I've been having with Clayton, a uh, longtime friend of the podcast who has not been on the podcast yet. Um, just about like, why is it that certain genres only work in their respective decade? Like, why are Dario Argento's more recent giallos not enjoyable compared to what was coming out in the 70s and early 80s? And I mean, that's an honestly like an ongoing conversation. I could not really, it's difficult to pinpoint, at least for me right now, like why does David Dakota work in the 80s, but not in the 2000s? Do you think it, it could be, I, it's so hard to like, I don't know, but like the, we as a society have gotten so used to these like top of the line effects, the Marvel universe, if you will, of like CGI and, and all of that and how things look that when we see something made today, it doesn't have that same like appeal that it did back then. Does that make sense? Like you could get away with a monster in this movie during the eighties, but you try that today and everyone's going to lose their mind over it. Maybe I think so. I, there are a couple things that I've been, some ideas that I've been toiling in my head. And and if anybody else has any ideas, I would love to hear what you have to say, um, on either Facebook or Instagram. Maybe I'll post this question after this episode releases and just kind of see what people have to say about it. And we can talk about it next week. But um, I've kind of narrowed it down to three ideas that I have. The first one, I think there's a lack of 
genuineness to things that are made today. And while David Dakota has been around for a while, just making movies, pumping them out nonstop, and I'm sure his passion for it hasn't gone. I think about... Um, I, I recently watched a movie on Shudder, and um, I have to pull up the title of it real quick, but the movie itself was kind of like a cross between... Uh, the Evil Dead, Here Comes Hell was the name of the movie. It's kind of a cross between Evil Dead and like a 1940s, 50s, uh, black and white monster movie type thing. And while it did many things right, it kind of felt like the people making it said, we're going to make a movie like these other movies that we've seen. Instead of like Ty West with House of the Devil, who's like, I'm just going to make a 70s like Satan movie. And even though that movie came out in the late two thousands, it, it works. It's great. If you like, if someone had said like, Oh no, this actually came out in like 1970 something. I'd be like, Oh yeah. I mean, it looks mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. plays like a seventies, uh, you know, Satan horror Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. And so I think people just aren't trying to make movies as they were. I think they're trying to recreate some kind of feeling of a movie. Mm-hmm. The second thing is the effects, like you were, you were saying. We rely, it's a lot cheaper to use digital effects these days, and they don't always work when you go cheaply with them. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, I think digital filmmaking is too sharp for these movies. I, okay, that is what I was trying to like convey in my brain. Like, the look is just different. Yeah, if you're going to make a movie that is sharp and shiny... It needs to look good, too. Right, right. Because the sharp and shiny kind of shows the zippers on the monster, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, uh, well, do you have anything that you want to add to that? No, I, I would love to hear more people's opinions on this, but I, I think what you said was spot on. Yeah. Let us know on uh, on Instagram or Twitter what you think. I'll uh, I'll post the question on there, and you can respond to it as you think of with that being said though since we're running a little long i want to hop over to caitlin's dating corner where's my music i'm working on it <laughs> um okay so i got fun question as always and dating tip which one would you like to do first let's do the dating tip first because i have no clue how you're going to pull dating tips out of this movie okay here's my uh, a good one i think <laughs> <laughs> all right my dating tip is don't change who you are and be confident in yourself. I loved the opening scene of this movie and how the three dirty girls were just who they were and they were so confident and they were like, I'm going to get boys the way that I am and I don't have to change for anyone. And they had just so much confidence in being themselves I think they had confidence in being themselves, but they were still a little shy. Yeah. And they kind of knew where they fell on the social totem pole. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they still had confidence in who they were. They weren't like, I'm in the sorority, so I'm going to like change myself to fit in with these girls. Yeah, that makes like, sense. Like, like Bring Stevens, for example. She knew who she was in the sorority, but she's like, I'm still going to do my thrifting thing. I still like doing that. Yeah. And Linnea quickly, she couldn't play the piano for anything, but it was something that she loved. And so she did it. Yeah. I couldn't get that. Like, was she supposed to be a music major or like, I don't know. I just think she liked playing playing. the piano and wailing. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And good for her. So my dating advice is just be yourself, do what you love to do. And be confident in that. All right. I think that's pretty good. I think that's gr- I think that's great. Oh. And you know, even if you find a a crystal ball and you are tempted to turn into a succubus, don't do it. Right. Don't change for anyone. Don't Not even anyone. Satan. Not <laughs> even especially. Um, okay. Here's my fun question. Okay, ready. Uh, this is obviously not a great date night. For these girls. No, it was not. Or boys. No. 
So my question is, what is the worst date you've ever been on? I don't like the face <laughs> that you're making at me for this. Because I like to catch you off guard. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, okay. So here we go. All right. This girl invited me over to her house to watch a movie. And I thought, all right, we're going to like sit on the couch. We're going to snuggle. Yeah. And whatnot. And she said something about eating food. And then like when I got there, it was like, oh, yeah, I threw some pizza rolls in the oven. And then she proceeded to sit on the ottoman the entire time. Like (laughs) very like almost like a full body length away from me. (laughs) And like. I was like, why are you sitting so close to the TV? And she's like, well, I I didn't want to wear my glasses. (laughs) All right. And, um, yeah, I would, I would say that that's the that worst one that I can date? think of. Okay. Oh, actually, same girl, uh-huh. years later, uh-huh. went on a date with her. She took me to the Panera that her ex-boyfriend worked at. Oh. And then proceeded to talk about why she didn't like being with him Ooh. the entire time we were there. That's That's a bad date. And I said, I don't want to hear about your ex-boyfriend while he's serving soup. Oh, <laughs> that's also a bad date. On the other side of this counter. That's a bad date. Yeah. But not succubus level bad. No, not I, <laughs> I would not say that I've had a succubus level uh, date yet. Um, yet? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, who knows? There's I still got like for a good 40 years minimum. So we'll see. Um, but what about you, Caitlin? Me? I don't go on dates. Uh, My worst date probably was this one time I went out to the movies with this one guy and I didn't know it was a date because he said there'd be a lot of people there, but then there was only him there. (laughs) And then these two girls from his school showed up and he, I think, awkwardly tried to kiss me during the movies, but it turned into this weird like. I'm just going to rub your nose thing with my face. And then like these girls that he knew from school were also sitting next to him and was like, do it, Devin, do it. And it was, it was probably, I just wanted to die after that. It was so awkward. He needed his moral support. I I guess. I guess. I don't know. (laughs) That is hilarious. And I don't think I remember you ever telling me that story. (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah. For a fun Dating corner. Hey, always. I'm here to entertain. (laughs) All right. So, Caitlin, uh, does this movie deserve or not deserve more credit than it has received? It deserves way more credit. Because I don't don't think anyone knows this movie. No. And this movie did kind of disappear for a while until the made-for-TV version kind of came out. Because they didn't even make a lot of VHS copies of it. It was only like a couple thousand. And so it was hard to hard to find for even people who wanted to see it. And I guess it just didn't get bootlegged or anything. So Well, I'm so glad it resurfaced. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely, definitely is a movie that belongs on your shelf. Yeah, this is a movie that I'm thankful that Vinegar Syndrome exists because I probably would never have come across it without them. And I'm glad that it did. Um Unfortunately, we are running low on time. We do not have our top 10 list sitting in front of us, but you'll have to just go on to the Journey into Film website and see, has this movie replaced anything on our top 10s? I'm going to give you a hint. I think it might knock something off for me because I really enjoy this movie, but we'll have to see. Um, So thank you for listening. And as always, we encourage you to hit that subscribe button over in Apple Podcasts or Spotify because that seems to be where everybody listens to podcasts now. Um, But if you don't use either of those, you should be able to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Journey Into Film. Head over there, hit some likes on some posts, check out some older stuff that we've done, and let us know what you think about the current state of horror movies and remakes. And obviously, if you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash a journey into film or go over to TeePublic and check out some sweet T-shirts 
Links are available in the show notes. And as always, never let anyone tell you that a film you enjoy is bad because they're probably wrong. See you next time.